Hi, everybody. Welcome again to Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac, and I'm here with my amazing co-pilot from the Federation. My name is Brian, and today we are going to review slash discuss Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin. What we thought, what we're surprised about, and um, what we did not see coming. Also, what doesn't really make sense, maybe what clashes with our knowledge of the original lore and the background. Lots to talk about. Brian, Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, it's a prequel, it's beautifully animated, and it was very short. So I think it's important to establish what the origin is, because like you said, it's a it's a prequel, and it's short, so it's kind of weird. It's kind of like, what am I watching right now? Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin was originally a manga. It was published from 2001 to 2011 in Japan. And that, that manga is basically a retelling of the original Mobusu Gundam from 1979, but in manga format, with some events sort of slightly altered, and then it also adds a lot of backstory that was not shown in the original series. So after that came out in Japan, they went back and published it in collector's editions uh, with like more full-color pages, which is pretty neat. Those collector's editions are going to come back because in the U.S., they tried to publish this twice. So the first time was in, I think, around 2001 by Viz. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about um, like how to get into Gundam, I think. So Viz mm-hmm. tried to publish it in 2001, but they didn't follow the same volume format. Like They published thicker magazines that were somehow less than a volume. And I know they came out with one because I bought it, but then after that, I never saw it again. And my comic store stocked everything back then because this was when hard copy manga was selling like hotcakes like like it was just <laughs> super popular you know you could go into i'm sure isaac you remember you could go into uh, barnes noble or, or borders at the time and they were always handing out coupons you know buy five manga get one free that kind of thing Good um but apparently <laughs> yeah apparently viz did actually release 12 of these i don't want to call them volumes but they were like magazines um, but then they just stopped publishing it after that. So I'd imagine that's somewhere in the early 2000s. But then uh, another publisher named Vertical republished everything in the U.S. during 2013 to 2015 using formats very similar to those collector editions that came out in Japan. That set is it's beautiful. I highly recommend everyone uh, picking it up. If for some reason you don't want to watch the original series, maybe you don't like old animation, Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, the manga, is a good way to consume that original story. So what does that mean for the, the anime? The, the anime only adapts three volumes out of the 12 volumes in, in the collector's format. And those three volumes are the volumes that are all of the backstory that Origin adds to the original series for the most part. The anime is essentially a, an OVA, original video animation. The OVAs, I think they were mostly shown, all of them I think were shown in, in Japanese theaters. So there's basically six episodes or six movies those were released in 2015 through 2018. And so then in 2019, they re-edited it into a 13-episode TV series, uh, which is kind of strange. I guess it was just to get more life out of it. The OVAs are currently available on Hulu, and the TV series is currently available on Funimation and Crunchyroll. So which uh, which version did you watch, Isaac? I watched it on Hulu, so it was, it was streamed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, did I enjoy it. Man, I, yeah, off the top of my head, I gotta say, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun prequel. It was almost, I'd go a step further and say it's not just a prequel, it's sort of the Xeon prequel. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think overall, I think yeah. it nailed, I think it nailed the characterization for everyone in the cast, even if at times I thought maybe 
Jimbo Rawl or Dozel were a little too goofy. But yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it overall. I made a list of things I enjoyed in order and things maybe I could, I was lukewarm on or, or could take it or leave it. Huh. What, what were some of your highlights? Well, definitely the animation I felt was incredible. I would say it matches Unicorn at the very least. So it was excellent watching, you know, the space combat. I really seen the fleet battles, you know, we really haven't in other series. Um, I love seeing so much explanation, really, at how Xeon got to be the Xeon that we know at the start of the original series. Also, watching Char go through his personal journey, you know, from tragedy. He's such a tragic character. This this whole series is really the, the Char show, in a way. How did Char become Char? So... It goes through his growth. That was amazing to see. And this is coming from someone that's not a big Char fan <laughs> because <laughs> I'm loyal to the Zobbies and we know what the Char is like the anti-Zobby. So <laughs> it was it was really interesting watching everything he really had to do to survive and um, say that as well. So overall, I feel like it was something I didn't know I wanted to see. And then having watched it, I'm really glad I've seen it, considering how much of the UC that I've consumed. How about you, Brian? What was, what were your big sort of, maybe not highlights, but what off the top of your head, what did you really enjoy about the series when you were done with it? I definitely agree on the on Char's journey. Like you said, this is basically his story, or at least it's framed from his perspective most of the time, I would say which is you know, super informative if you've seen the original series. I think one of my highlights was showing the Battle of Loom and Operation British sort of in their entirety, because those events are sort of, they're very formative for the Universal Century, right? And so it's great yeah. to sort of see them on screen from start to finish. Um, oh, boy. They really captured the, the humanity of that war crime, didn't they? That atrocity. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that... that and I, I know what you're referring to. You're pretty yeah. much referring to the the gassing of the citizens in uh, that, yeah. in Island Ifish. <laughs> um, right. Because... <laughs> they had like a a self-contained sort of. I thought these were going to be new characters introduced to us, and you know, maybe I'm naive. I thought, oh, you know, these ones might get away or something like that. You know, it's a love story or something. No, that was there specifically to make it all the more tragic. Totally agree. I had the same reaction. I thought, oh, maybe this is someone I know from the future. I just don't know it yet in this episode. And then maybe, you know, 10 minutes later, I realized that they were going to die from the casting and they weren't going to make it out. I, th- I thought it was a really effective sort of vignette within the episode to, to demonstrate, like you said, yeah. the, the humanity of, of what had just uh, unfortunately right. occurred. And the inhumanity of Zeon, because that Zeon officer saying, you know, they were viewing it as a mercy killing these people so that they wouldn't experience the terror of falling to earth. How twisted that was from Xeon's mindset. Very, um, well, yeah, we know who Xeon's based on. So very much like them. <laughs> yeah. I mean that guy for that, that Xeon soldier was certainly drinking the gear and Kool-Aid. Yeah. And, and then actually seeing the colony fall was great. You know, we see the colony fall in the original series, but that's obviously pretty old animation and it's sort of mentioned. It's not really like there was a whole episode on it or anything like that. It's also shown in Unicorn, but again, this is this is showing the whole thing. And so, in, like in the original show, they don't really talk too much about the other pieces of the colony that broke off, and and sort of just rain down as smaller pieces. And they, I think, they do a good job in this show of showing that even those debris pieces make these enormous craters in the ground and just you know kill all sorts of people. You mentioned Lum. 
man that oh, battle was that was so that was a pretty awesome battle <laughs> yeah well, for sure oh, what was interesting too was that they showed how close Zeon was to actually well a lot of interesting things happened in that battle um number one the whole how smoke and the burning of the ships actually played into the battle itself also what else was i gonna say oh how close they made Zeon seem that you know to actually losing that major battle and ultimately the war i guess and then even further the fact that Giran had purposely put Dagwin out there to be killed. Spoiler alert, by the way, everybody. If you, I mean, if you haven't, see, okay, we're talking about the whole series, so you should know by now. The spoiler, there's gonna be spoilers. How Giran put Dagwin out there in our favorite ship, the Great Dagwin, <laughs> as sort of like a last line of defense, right? The flagship was out there to sort of bolster the troops and give the uh, the fleet support, but um. Kaecilia pointed out that, you know, if the Federation does break through, they're going to kill Dagwin. <laughs> and guess who will be inheriting the leadership? It'll be Giran. <laughs> so I, I like that little tidbit. Yeah, that uh, Giran was, you know, way back when he was really gunning for the, the throne. <laughs> yeah, Loom, I thought, was just wonderfully animated. It it was just mass chaos on all sides. It was probably the the best fleet battle we've seen out of Gundam, which makes sense. I mean, it, I guess we should say that although this is a Gundam show, there is no Gundam in it. The, the show is mainly capital ships, particularly on the Federation side versus uh, mobile suits on, on the Xeon side. Yeah. We, we, I guess we do see the Gundam a few times on some screens, but, you know, it's not in the show moving around. So the Loom fleet battle was was pretty amazing. Yeah, and then like you said, I think another highlight for me was just the all the backstory on the zombies because I thought they nailed all of them. And we do see, I think, all of them within the first episode and the characterization is like on point right away. And they're, it's just, I don't know, it seemed very smooth and, and flawless to me. You know, you get right away, you know that Giran is the young schemer. Dozel's the big, you know, he's a family guy. Cassilia is a, scre- a schemer with, with an axe to grind. Degwin is calm and collected. Sasaro was, you know, the... the <laughs> he was the, too loud and violent for his own good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that, you know, the whole throughout all six episodes, that tension between Garen and Degwin slash Cassilia, it really, like you said, supports the ending to the, the original series. Um, so I think it all sort of made sense in the end. I thought that was great. It was good seeing the zombie family being exactly what we thought they were going to be like. <laughs> As they seize power. I mean, I'm not sure what Jimba or the Rawl family was thinking. I mean, the Rawl family is pretty much two people, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's Jimba yeah. and his son. So I'm not sure what exactly happened where they were, cons- they thought that they could rival the Zabis. Um, you know, maybe the Rawl family was bigger at some point, but the Zabis cut them down. But in any case, yeah, I, I, I don't blame Jimba for slowly losing his. A bit of his grip on reality and sanity. <laughs> the situation worsened. Yeah, I mean, he he was pretty losing it there at the end, but you got to give it to him. He was right about everything. So yeah, can't yeah, you can't yeah. argue with him. That was also another highlight for me. Just sort of the backstory for Rambaral and uh, Hamon Crowley, uh, his I I guess wife at some point. He was kind of the hero we needed in this story. I mean, even though this is told from the most part from Shar's perspective, he's not really necessarily a a, a normal hero, I would say, right? He does some questionable things. Um, a lot. Wait, we're talking about Shar or Ramba? No, Shar. Yeah. Oh boy, Shar is. Yeah. 
Definitely an anti. Well, oh boy, depending on your opinion, anti-hero or anti-villain, he's anti. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My point is just that you know, this is told from Shar's perspective, but he's not necessarily. Like, I, I feel like Ramba was maybe the most heroic person in the story. Um, yeah, he never seemed to have done anything that was maybe controversial compared to Shar, especially, right? Yeah, I mean, in fact, Shar progressively takes more questionable actions. Whereas Ramba progressively gets more heroic. He saves Casval and Artesia in the beginning. And then eventually he, he does, you know, participate in the mobile suit development with Dozel. But then in the end, he refuses to participate in Operation British because he doesn't like attacking a defenseless side too. And he, you know, you don't see him in the Battle of Loom either because he's he's sort of given up at that point and cursing the zombies, you know, back at the bar. He made a moral choice at the end to just to kind of stay out of it, but uh, whereas Shar maybe gets progressively more morally gray. Speaking of Shar, Shar has this, if you recall, a roommate sort of classmate. Uh, was it Leon Fernandez, right, or Leo Fernandez? Uh, yeah, it was Le- Lino, I think, or something. Oh, like Lino, that. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Fernandez. I know. Yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> what did you feel about Shar orchestrating that guy's? death during their uh, their little you know skirmish night operation <laughs> yeah that was one of the moments where i thought it was a very in-character char moment of being a, a good manipulator and yeah you're right i do so f- what i took away from it is i don't think that like char or casfall himself really wanted to kill him but if his plan is to work then yeah he, he needed to get rid of him he couldn't have anyone knowing yeah, it just had to be done from his perspective. But yeah, that was that was pretty tragic from Lino's perspective because he was actually on Casval's side. He hated the zombies too. But I, yeah, <laughs> I, I found that really interesting. That you know, uh, the zombies had seized power, but if an academy student at like their main military academy, presumably you know the son of, I guess people high enough to get their son into a, a military academy. If he can sort of, in private, you know, speak out against the zombies, man, the zombies probably had less of a grip on Xeon than we should assume, you know. That's a good point. I'm sure there were varying levels of factions that we're not aware of. I mean, Xeon, Zoom Daikun dropping dead on the day he's giving the speech, it's not hard to sort of infer some foul play may have happened. And in fact, I mean, all the citizens did suspect foul play even though maybe the zombies co-opted that narrative and directed it at the Rawl family but I'm sure there were segments of the population that that definitely could see through that ruse and probably knew that it was the zombies all along probably Um, but there's no one else to really latch on (laughs) to yeah I mean the Rawls are gone Casval and Artesia they disappeared to Earth or the colonies so Who's left, right? It's the zombies are already on the throne. <laughs> yeah, that was their plan, and they, yeah. they went through with it. Not to sidetrack us, but getting back to Fernandez, <laughs> what what did you think of him being the one to give Char like a, what was it, like a lunar rugby mat? Mask? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I forgot it. what the name, yeah, what the sport was, like yeah. lo- moon ball or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I believe, at least in the dub, so I watched this dub, so in the dub oh, okay. they, call, they called it um, lunar ball. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's terrible. I kind of look at it as a whole as the whole thing, right? So 
one, you have Casval taking over Shar Aznable's identity, and he has to block his eyes somehow because they have different eye colors and people would notice. Yeah. And then later, like you said, he gets the, the mask from Shar's friend, not necessarily his friend, but Shar's friend, and it tints his vision red. There does need to be an explanation for the mask. It's not a terrible one. I don't know what a better one would be. Shar slash Casval himself then attributes having to wear the mask or the shades due to uh, cosmic ray damage uh, on his eyes. So I don't I don't hate it. It's an interesting attempt to explain it. The other way to explain it would, would be just to not explain it, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that they chose to make an explanation. I'm just not 100% thinking that that was the, the right explanation they should have chosen. You know, They yeah. didn't stick the landing. It, 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 as far as I'm concerned, it's the equivalent of like a military officer wearing like, I don't know, a golf glove or, <laughs> or like you know the the baseball helmet with like you know the one side of the cheek is is protected you know just because oh you know I got this and <laughs> it was a gift or something you know I wear this from now on it's like yeah. no it that really wouldn't work in I guess a military but yeah, I don't know they could have done it better like. It's a mask he wore because, you know, he claims he was, you know, he got facial burns during that that rebellion strike against the Federation garrison or something like that. But it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe here's the change I think I would make. If you just ignore the lunar ball mask and you just go with the cosmic ray damage, that's probably a better explanation. But then maybe just show that there are other people wearing this mask or at one point there were other people wearing this mask and maybe they've since develop some procedure to get rid of it and you don't need to wear the mask anymore but for some reason you know Shar says that oh it doesn't work for me and he has to continue wearing the mask and that's why he's the only one left but that way if at least it's like a a, a mask for a medical reason people would yeah. probably ask less questions than if it was a lunar ball mask i mean you don't you don't go to the gym put on your lunar ball mask and then leave and you you don't wear it the rest of the day right so yeah that was a that was a much better explanation. I like your idea so much more because that like that really lays down, you know, some more world building as far as space being sort of a dangerous place. And, you know, the the colonists are just sort of at the mercy of the elements out there. It's not entirely um, healthy for them, maybe. But, you know, they're stuck there. Everyone on Earth is just living it up without having to worry <laughs> about facial and eye radiation. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like yeah, the eye he did eye drops too, right in the show, if I'm remembering he, correctly. He did, yes. I yes, feel like they're doing at that point they're doing too much with the eyes and stuff. You know, he wears a lunar ball mask, he wears sunglasses, he put does eye drops. It almost would have been easier if he, he did eye drops, but you know they changed his eye color or something like that to help him hide. But um, overall, not a big part of the story. It just sort of covered him in hiding more. So yep. interesting. On a related note, I'm still not sure how I feel about Char really being someone else's name. You thought it would be something he thought up? Like this was a completely made alter ego? Like he thought of this as he went into Xeon? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I can't say that that explanation, that that plot line is poorly written because it's not. I think it's done pretty well. Um, Particularly, you know, him switching places with Char is very in character when he realizes that Cassilia is trying to kill him and he, you know, he, he notices people following him. So that, that is a very like Char move to make. It's not poorly written. I just, I don't know. I mean, we all know him as, as Char Aznable and 
and it's not even really his name. It's someone else's name. It's different being an alias that he adopted versus some other dude, you know, this like really very nice boy from from this nice colony. (laughs) (laughs) Who happens to look just like him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little coincidental, but um, maybe that's just me being weird. But yeah. What did you think about Char, like you just said, switching, okay, sorry, Casval switching places with Char and getting Char killed? Do you think Casval knew that shuttle was going to blow up or that, you know, whoever got on that seat looking like him would be dead pretty soon? Or did he think, oh, maybe, you know, they're just going to monitor him or shadow him as he goes back to, you know, wherever he's going? I definitely think that he knew that if he got on that shuttle, he was going to die. I don't think he probably knew that the whole shuttle was going down yeah because i mean wow Cassilia. Oh boy yeah it's <laughs> like Talking you can't overkill. like <laughs> wouldn't it have been like easier to just have like one of the the flight attendants like poison like his soda or something well i mean i think they <laughs> wanted had to, to take it. out the whole shuttle <laughs> i think the explanation was that they they wanted plausible deniability right that there wasn't an assassination attempt on edward mass who, you know, someone doing some research could figure out was really Casfall. So in order to avoid that, he was just one of many. That's how I interpreted it from the show. But he definitely knew he was getting the real Shar killed. I don't know that he knew he was getting everyone else killed as well. Speaking of Edouard, <laughs> just going back to the sort of the beginning of the series, it was cool seeing Sayla being her little doctor sort of Red Cross attendant way back in the day before the whole war even started. I like that. Yeah, I thought Sailor was great in this show. I mean, the, yeah. to be honest, remember we've I mean we've talked a lot about the live action movie uh, and what that could hold if if, if maybe they casted Sailor as like a third lead. This is the version of Sailor that I think you would need for that third lead. This girl that's had this just one tragic thing happen to her after another. You know, her mom dies, Casfall leaves her, then her cat dies. Yeah, and, and then Don Tiablo. <laughs> yeah, that's her, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then the her adopted ad- father. <laughs> yep, and then her adopted father dies, but then at the same time, she's, you know, like you said, she she becomes this this like doctor slash medic. I'm not exactly sure exactly what what role she plays, but she's clearly helping out. So, but then at, you know at the same time, she's able to be this badass person with this rifle that can when her house and all of her ta- little town was threatened, you know, she, she can start killing all the rioters if she really needed to so i feel like that's the that's the version of salo that we need in the live action movie if she's going to be in it yeah i i agree <laughs> at the risk of sidetracking us again i have a confusing moment if you remember when they're they're being attacked in spain right in their castle mm-hmm. <laughs> char has to fight like a guy dressed up as a knight like a medieval <laughs> knight was a member of the hit squad hiding in the castle for a long time dressed up as the knight? Or did they sneak in, see like, oh, this is a castle. They have like knight armor. Let me put on the armor and <laughs> pick up a sword and I'll kill everybody like this. <laughs> you know what? I totally agree with you. I don't understand what that was about or why that was necessary. It seems very over the top. It was fun to watch, I guess. Here's the thing. I have not read, I have not finished reading the rest of the manga. So I was wondering if maybe that was better explained in the manga and they just kind of didn't explain it in the OVA. So until I (laughs) read the manga from cover to cover, I'm not going to criticize it yet. But yeah, I think if you just watch it cold, that was a little out there. Like it doesn't, 
you, I mean, the guy could have just taken the sword. He doesn't need to necessarily take the entire suit of armor, which seemed like it was very hard to move around in. You know, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was ultimately his downfall. I mean, literally, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if when you read the manga, like it's it was just a hit squad. You know, they all have guns. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like. Be. I would be surprised if this hit squad rolls up of like, you know, 15 guys or whatever. And like, they all have machine guns and one guy's like, Oh look, there's a suit of armor guys. I've always wanted to do this. And then he like, <laughs> just puts down his gun and like takes 20 minutes to like put on the armor. Maybe they have to help him. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, I'm going to like sneak around in the shadows. <laughs> if you see moving armor, it's me. Don't shoot me. <laughs> I do like that you put a lot of thought into it, and yeah, that maybe well, he had, maybe he had been there a very long time, and that he was like hiding out as the suit of armor. I, mean, I like that yeah. you tried to explain it. So it's better my, than my, I did. My brain was just trying to piece it together. Like, okay, there's a guy in armor trying to kill them. I mean, you'd almost think if there was anybody in armor fighting that day, or that night, it would be someone you know protecting the castle, like I don't know, the loyal butler or something, right? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that could have been done better, but it was clearly, I think, um, they were doing it to just foreshadow Shar fighting armored, sword wielding enemies in the future. Oh, so, true. Yeah. yeah. He also had a fencing duel with Amuro in Mobile Suit Gundam, so maybe part of it too. But yeah, I agree. Out of left field. I, I remember when it first started, when they first started showing the, the armored guy come into the castle or whatever. Like, I thought it was going to be revealed to be a dream sequence. Because, oh. you know, he, he why is the armored guy there? I, I thought it was like the manifestation of of, of uh, Sayla's nightmare or something like that. Oh, um, it'd be like Hamlet. Like, he'd lift up his, like, face armor and it was like Zeon. It was Zeon the Daikon. <laughs> yeah, or something, you know. But, um, but no, it ended up just being, like, literally a dude in a suit of armor you know, trying to kill him. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing that. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't know. Or even a robot. I would have been like, oh, you know, in passing, did did I hear them mention like, oh, we got some new armor displays delivered today. But like one of them was like a robot sent by Kaecilia. Interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, even that didn't happen. Nope. Nope. <laughs> what a sidetrack. Side I apologize to our <laughs> listeners. Comment below if you think the night came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Or if you if you know why the night makes sense. Because, yeah, we were a little confused. But um, <laughs> on that note of other things that we didn't really understand or maybe weren't our favorite. You know, the whole inclusion of, like, Amuro, Kai, and Hayato, I don't really know if that was needed. I'm not sure that it really added much other than it... It didn't. It, it, <laughs> it just... I mean, you already knew that Kai was a dick, and this just... He was more of a dick in this version than I think even the last version. And you already knew that Fraubo was a nice person, and she was even nicer in this version. And you already knew that Hayato didn't say much, <laughs> and he said even less in this version. So yeah. I'm not really sure what we learned. I think that part was probably could have just been skipped. Uh, I don't know. What did you think? I felt like maybe they wanted to do more with his little subplot where, you know, he finds his dad's research and he's reading and finds the secret room and all of that. But I don't know. That almost takes away from how well he does as either a new type or just himself piloting the Gundam initially. This almost seems like he had just too much knowledge ahead of time. So I didn't care for it that much. Yeah, I just agree that it didn't add much to the story. You know, him going to the base and then the guards are like, oh, we didn't know your Temre son. And here, stand here while we slap around your friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, by the um, way, they drove that they yeah. drove that bulldozer or whatever it was up to the base. 
And then the base just like shot comes, like like comes ten mach- yeah like ten machine guns at it. Yeah. I don't know what that bulldozer was made out of, but they should make Zaku's out of that thing because it was more <laughs> it was more resilient than a Zaku. <laughs> In Zaku's defense, those were small arms fire. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but that's, that's... Um, that whole scene just led up to. Showing the Federation was, you know, not exactly the the knights in uh, shining armor. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And then I guess on the subject of um, Amuro's father, there are two things that stuck out to me about him. Uh, one, I didn't really like that he was Minovsky's like student. I didn't think everything needed to be connected. That just seemed like we were trying to connect everything like nice and neatly. Yeah, I mean, before this series, did you? assume Manowski was alive you know relatively close to Amaro and everybody else no I I had always imagined him as just a scientist maybe from a hundred years or, or less ago but I, I would have assumed yeah. that he, he had been dead for some time given how important his technology is I kind of had assumed that his technology helped kick off the universal century I agree too I assumed he was sort of their Einstein or something. Like, you know, he was just this monumental mind that was alive a long time ago. He had brilliant ideas that led to a lot of technology. We had nuclear power in our century, and in their century they have, you know, Minowski reactors and all that. I assumed it was the same thing. It felt a bit shoehorned in that we saw him, and then he gets kind of caught up in the whole intrigue and stuff. And he was around to watch his work in... <laughs> Yeah. actual use much to his detriment <laughs> but yeah he was technically there for the first mobile suit battle in he history was. that was uh, his last battle <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean he would have lived if the black tri-stars weren't so damn aggressive <laughs> he had probably the most hilarious yet sad death yeah given given who he is and how he died he is responsible for the creation of mobile suits, essentially. Or maybe not the creation of mobile suits, but the enabling mobile suits to be used in the way that they are used. And how does he die? But one falls on him. <laughs> this is what you designed? This is what you wanted? Here you go. <laughs> oh, cruel, cruel twist of fate. Yeah. Speaking of mobile suits, I felt like the gun tank should not have been as ubiquitous as it seemed. Boy, they had plenty to spare at, like, a garrison at Side 3, the farthest colonies from Earth. I <laughs> I was under the assumption that the gun tank was more of a failed mobile suit project. Uh, maybe I'm wrong in my understanding or memory, but I assumed it was sort of a dead end since it was little more than a glorified tank. <laughs> so they, they they didn't exactly make a ton of them until that was retconned for like, you know, the 8th MS team and all the side stories and that. They sort of just had one, you know, it wasn't great, and they moved on from there to like Gun Cannon and Gundam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're, I think you're half right. So that's actually one of the biggest changes that the series makes from the original. The original series, you know, you basically have Gun Tank, Gun Cannon, Gundam, all brand new, all delivered kind of on the same day. They all go into service on the same day. This series takes a different approach and, and actually shows that, that gun tanks have been around maybe in a more prototype form for many, many years uh, before that. So you're not wrong. That's just one thing that they decided to to change, which that's maybe not unrealistic, right? I mean, if you're going to make mobile suits, maybe you start with something that doesn't have legs. I could see that. 
but yeah, that does clash a bit with the original series. Yeah, and I felt well. How, how, let me put this to you before <laughs> before expressing my own thoughts. I guess how did you feel watching those gun cannons in combat against the uh, the Zaku ones? <laughs> they didn't even have hands. They had like <laughs> four, four claw graspers or something like that. Yeah, they had manipulator like forceps. Yeah. Like the little the machine that gets you like a stuffed animal, you know, the the crane, the claw that you see at the arcade or something like that at the carnival. <laughs> that was their hand. The claw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those were they were embarrassing. If you, if you... <laughs> My God, <laughs> I couldn't believe how poorly they performed, especially when we know the later gun cannon on the white base. It might not be a Gundam, but boy, does it do pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll just have to chalk that up to being the, the new model. But yeah, yeah those those okay. gun cannons were pretty embarrassing. And I think what makes it especially embarrassing is if you remember in that fight, the commander of that squadron or whatever, he goes, "Send the whole squad." I forget what their yeah. their name is. They like outnumbered the number Zeon. Yeah, I, I think there was like 20-something of them, right, in the squad. And they go, sir, send all of them. He goes, yes, we must crush them. So this dude dispatches like 20 of these things. And I guess, how many people were there? There was only five, if you count Char. Right. You know, they outnumbered the enemy basically five, four to one, and they still lost in embarrassing fashion. They didn't even take out one Zaku one or do any yeah. meaningful damage to anyone. They even lost their capital ship. <laughs> <laughs> Char made short work of that little dropship or whatever. Yeah. yeah, the carrier that the Federation threw together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh boy, those were embarrassing. Totally agree. One last thing. This isn't a big issue. This is just my own personal preference. So I did watch this dubbed, and I did miss the original dub cast. They recasted everybody. There was nothing wrong with these voices. They just weren't the same. Shout out to the original early two thousands dub cast of Mobile Suit Gundam. I did miss our Captain Bright and our Amro. Um, yeah. The new Char was, was good. He sounded very similar to the old Char, but the other ones, there's nothing wrong with their voice. It just wasn't the same. I agree, but um, I don't know. I feel like for the purposes of the story, I was willing to move away from the voices I thought I would hear. <laughs> it, yeah. It's a prequel, so I, I gave them some some room to move around. Yeah. And speaking of room, I'll also give room to the poor gun cannon pilots. You know, it was their first day on the job. They really weren't expecting to go in a <laughs> such such tenacious combat, I assume. So, although another funny moment besides watching that curb stomp was uh, watching General Revel run <laughs> during his <laughs> escape because he runs like I don't know, I don't know what this. He he runs like a penguin <laughs> in zero g. <laughs> he, you're right. He did have an interesting run for sure. Definitely, maybe the run of someone who doesn't run very often. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I thought the military had like requirements on like, you know, weight and and waist size. You know, even if you're older in the military. For rebel, grand- they threw that out the window. <laughs> he was grandfathered in. <laughs> I can eat whatever I want. I'll rank everybody on the base. <laughs> to be fair, maybe his head was wrapped. Maybe he had like a concussion or something. That's true. He's not too secure footed. So. <laughs> General Rebel, sort of on the same topic of voices. I thought General Rebel's VA was great. Like yeah. whoever that guy was, I loved that guy's performance. He, he did a fantastic job. He gave an air of authority and maturity. I thought it was great. I liked it too. It was really commanding, and just just watching him and hearing him in combat was great too. He really felt like he was a pretty awesome fleet admiral. Even the intrigue and stuff with um, Dagwin—that was those were cool scenes. I had no idea I was going to see that. 
But what exactly was Daewin thinking would happen? That like he'd let Revel go and Revel would surrender like, unilaterally for the Federation? Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think the whole intrigue between Giran, Dagwin, Cassilia, and Revel is probably my favorite part of this series from a plot perspective. Like Operation yeah. British and Loom were, were great visually, but I mean, you kind of know what's going to happen there. It's very straightforward, right? They're going to drop a colony. They're going to have a big fleet battle. There's nothing right. complicated there. But the whole interplay between those characters was was amazing. And frankly, I was shocked that Revel betray, not I don't want to say betray, but but he he turned his back on on uh, what he had promised Degwin. That that kind of shocked me, to be honest. B- based <laughs> on their conversation, I thought they had like like a kinship of like, okay, we know we both know this is terrible, and we need to get out of it and and now is the time to end it and make everything okay and then you're right revel kind of just was like f it (laughs) zeon's exhausted and they're going down (laughs) i was like oh i guess that shows that dagon was just such a poor judge of character that he thought revel would push for the surrender but everyone from girin to kaecilia to even makube on earth they like completely expected Revel to say exactly what he said just to extend the war. (laughs) So I wonder how they knew that or maybe they just assumed that like, yeah, even if Daywing does go ahead with his plot to release him, you know, this will really only work in in favor of propagating the war. But man, what a mess up by Daywing. And this just shows that the Zobbies and Zeon on a whole, I guess, they weren't working together from day zero. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The war might have been lost on day zero. Yeah, I guess maybe how I'd look at it is it seemed like Degwin and Revel had the most analytical minds, but Revel was much better at execution, and maybe Degwin was too trusting. <laughs> oh boy, Degwin. He's pretty good at, I guess, outmaneuvering people that don't see him coming, but since his whole family knows how he operates, I guess they can kind of tiptoe around him or maneuver where they need to, like Giran and Kaecilia. Yeah, because, I mean, he, he yeah. did see Giran's treachery looming but in the end, it doesn't work out for him. So. It, was, it was dumb enough to go watch Loam from like the front lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then again, fair. maybe like he, he assumed he had to because as the head of Xeon, he needs to be there. But um, his death really would have only benefited Giran. <laughs> you know, when you have an invincible flagship called the Great Degwin. <laughs> it was the biggest in the Earth sphere at that time. So you got me there. <laughs> Speaking of zombies... And we're going to cut it there for this episode. Tune in next week as we conclude our review of Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin with more thoughts on the zombies, the mobile suits, and why Tem Ray is a terrible father. Please like, comment, and subscribe. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can leave us a comment on YouTube or on Twitter at Colony Dropcast. Until next time, keep those Minofsky reactors warm. Mm-hmm.